Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and this week I'm very happy to welcome back to the microphone Trent Rogers. Trent pinch hit this very capably this past week with a sermon from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, and that message will be the focus of today's discussion. And just a quick note that today's discussion may be inappropriate for the younger ears in your vicinity, and you can feel free to hit the pause button on your device or your computer, and you can join us a little later when it's a little more convenient for you. And so Trent, hey, welcome back. It's not always easy, I know, to jump into the middle of a, of a sermon series, but I'm guessing that this topic of lust and adultery here in Matthew chapter 5 probably added some unique tensions in your preparation and your presentation. Yeah. The first, thanks for having me back, Bart. Um, you know, I did get asked from a, a few people, like, what did you do to Tim that he assigned you to this? To be fair, Tim gave me a few dates that had, uh, you know, passages attached to him, and I recognized they were all going to be good passages because they're all Sermon on the Mount passages. Uh and this is the date that just happened to work out. So, you know, just to clear the air, it was Tim's graciousness that I was able to preach, not some uh, vendetta he had against me. <laughs> well, I know I, I did look. Tim was smiling after then during the sermon. That <laughs> now, and, and, you know, I know that uh, at different times I've had to deal with certain sensitive issues and I've been called upon to do that. What a blessing, though, too, isn't mm-hmm. it, to be able to uh, have that opportunity, but also uh, to experience the grace of God in doing that. Yeah, I was really thankful for that opportunity. Well, let's. We, we, I just mentioned the grace of God, and I think that is a great segue into this first uh, comment or question. You began your comments on Sunday with a focus on God's power to change lives, and he, he's very gracious in changing our lives, uh, isn't he? But what a great way to begin this discussion of what can be a very powerful sin pattern or sin patterns as we talk about lust and adultery. Yeah, I I thought even at the very beginning, I I just wanted to communicate, and some of the people in in the preaching team helped me think through this, just to communicate that there is hope that if the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't really change anything, there's no hope for any of us. Um, so when we think about Romans chapter six, where Paul describes us as dead to sin and alive to God, if that's really true, we we can truly have freedom. And he goes on in chapter eight then to talk about life in the Spirit and God's graciousness. So I think one of the the biggest challenges that, as I've talked with uh, young men especially about sexual sin, is that. Uh, they can lose hope of the freedom of the gospel. Well, and they often come back after a week or two weeks of really trying hard and say, I can't do this. Yeah. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not abnormal to see that. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> Trent, it, it reminds me of what Tim has been sharing here over the past number of weeks, and that is, I think one of the things Jesus is saying is, no, you can't do this, mm-hmm. but I can. Yeah, and, and that that is that is that uh, that tension, and that one since these are things that God creates in us, the fruit of the spirit are things that He produces in us. 
but there are also things that we actively pursue. So um, to, to hold forth both of those ideas that, yes, this is only possible by the grace of God in changing us and conti- continuing to change us. And then it's also something that uh, it takes effort on our part. Well, your first point uh, Sunday focused on God's design for sexual intimacy, and that is he designed marriage be between one man and one woman. And you talked about the the four key purposes of sexual intimacy. Won't won't repeat those right now, but that view of one man, one woman is being challenged and even discarded by more and more of our society. So so first of all, is it fair to ask, what's the big deal about one man and one woman? Uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a fair question. So first point, I'm thinking you've got a fair answer too. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so just the first point, when we think about the the purposes of marriage, one of the purposes that I I mentioned was that it's procreative, and uh, a so-called homosexual union uh, is is not procreative. So um, there's just a category distinction that we're dealing with at the very outset. I think the important thing to recognize is that. We're dealing with a distinction in definitions as well. So 1 John 4, 8 talks about God is love. So the definition of love is rooted in the character of God. So we're not at, we don't have the freedom to define love however we might want to define love. So you hear this common mantra, love is love or all love is love. Well, that only has meaning if love has a definition, and love finds its definition in the character of God. So maybe we might talk about love as a, as a, a kind disposition to act for another's good or so, something along those lines. And if that's the case, then the so-called this, this homosexual love that is, is sometimes termed, uh, that doesn't act for another's good because it endorses things that lead someone to the pit of hell in in accordance with the uh, you know first corinthians 6 that we read so and certainly not that's not a good end yeah that's not not a good <laughs> that's right that's not a good end it's it's not a, a positive end and so you know sometimes i, I share that with um young people whether at the university or here at church who are are hearing um different statements about the acceptability of, of uh, homosexual practice so that it's not like one man, one woman. And one of the things I often challenge them is to say, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? And then they're quick to say, well, I can explain this passage. Away. I explain this passage. I explain this passage. So they have special pleading for you know a host of passages in Scripture. Um, and that's okay. I don't agree with your exegesis there. But let's just say I granted you all of those exceptions. Can you make a positive case? And often they retort back, can you make a positive case for heterosexual marriage? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. That's on almost every page of Scripture in one sense or another. Um in part because it's living out a command to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and ultimately, it's picturing uh, this reality of Christ and his bride, the church. So I do think that one man, one woman uh, reality is central to our understanding of marital love. 
So Trent, just like last week, the passage we were uh, working through, Jesus was focusing on anger as the root of murder. This week, getting at the real meaning of the sixth commandment here, it says you shall not commit adultery. And of course, here he's saying that if one is lusted sexually after another, he or she has committed adultery in his or her heart. So is it possible for a man or a woman never to have a lustful thought? Well, I think the the simple answer, you know, the Sunday school answer is Jesus, uh, right? So, <laughs> you know, um, so is it possible? Yes. Is it a struggle? Yes. And that's why you see Jesus dealing with it. Paul will refer to this. John in First John talks about the lust of the eyes or the desires of the eyes, and um, it, it certainly is a, is a challenge. Um, that we would have um, impure desires, whether that's focused in, in our sexuality or in some other area of our lives. Well, I like the, the rather stark contrast you drew between love, which you uh, defined as focusing on God and others, and lust, really a focus on myself and what I want, whether or not God wants it for me. It's one of those comprehensive statements that should really hit us between the eyes, isn't it? I mean, it really boils it down to the to the nubbins, as I would like to say. Yeah, admittedly, that wasn't my idea. Um, uh, so as we were going over the sermon, that was Tim's idea. So I got to give credit to, to Pastor Tim yeah, there. Boy cockerel. It's it's a it's a a great a great thought, but it really does get to the heart of things. Um, when when you are uh, lusting, uh, to use the phrase, lusting after a woman or de- desiring her in that way, uh, you're not expressing love for your sister in Christ or if, if she's married to that brother in Christ as well. And our call is to one of love. And so that is the active counterpart to forsaking lust is to pursuing love. Um, I remember uh, a question that, that Pastor Tim posed the, the week before. He said, if somebody, if somebody came up and was trying to date your daughter and they said um, something to the effect of like, well, how far could we go physically before you'd consider that an affront? He, you'd be like, get away from my daughter. And uh, I thought that was a, a helpful question. And, and I think that is one of the challenges when we come to an issue uh, like of lust that people say, well, like, you know, how how tantalized can I be before it's in the category of lust? And you need to be asking different questions. Like, how can I express love is one of those questions. Uh, but the other question would be, how is this helping me love God? So what actions or, or what thoughts am I engaging in that heighten my affections for God? And if that's our standard for the things that we do and think, I think that really radically transforms it from like, how much can I get away with to how much can I pursue God? And that brings us to the concept that you you talked about the other day, and that is the idea of radical obedience in the context of discipline and discipleship. It seems like we're always coming back to this issue. Every passage in scripture, we can go back to discipleship, discipline. Uh, but since you mentioned it, let's just talk about it a little more. I was meeting with uh, another elder as we were interviewing a, an associate member candidate just yesterday, and this is something I brought up. You know, the church is a place of discipline and discipleship, and discipline is not a naughty, dirty word. It's a very appropriate and something that we should embrace. Yeah, I, so if God is really the Lord of the universe, uh, 
if Jesus Christ really died on our behalf, if he is really coming again as the conquering king, that puts in perspective the calls on our lives, that we are called in service to that king, that we are empowered by a spirit to service to that king. So to say that it's radical obedience really is true because it's it's whole life. Um, you, you've, you've probably heard the quote by a, a famous 20th century theologian that says, there is no part of this earth which over which Jesus does not declare mine. How much more over the Christian who was bought with a price? Mm -hmm. There is no part of your life over which Jesus does not rightly declare mine. Radical obedience. Radical obedience, yeah. And, and, and to go deeper into that or, or to go further into that, the idea of me, you, anybody who's listening asking, God, what's in the way of my getting to know you better and my loving yeah. others more? That's a great question. We all know it's not always easy. In fact, it usually isn't easy to live a life that is faithful to Christ. But perhaps somebody has heard your sermon, somebody may be listening now, and they're exercising their mind to make today that they're going to commit fully to Christ. How do you counsel that person from here? Yeah, this is another great question, and my, my response is going to seem fairly simplistic, but I'm just going to talk in terms of Bible, prayer, and church. Um, and we, we keep coming back to those realities because they're true. So what would I counsel that uh, Christian? I would counsel them to memorize Scripture, both in its, its warnings and its promises. So sometimes you, you might memorize a passage like Philippians 3 that describes the enemies of the cross of Christ. They're in His destruction. Their God is their belly. And that might be a warning to you not to live as, as if I'm the sum of my physical desires. But you also might correspondingly memorize a passage that describes life with God and gives you a goal to shoot for, something, something that excites your heart about the glories of life with God. So memorization of Scripture is huge. Um, I think prayer, your utter dependence on God, saying, God, change my heart. So the Sermon on the Mount has to be lived out in prayerful dependence on God changing us from the inside out. I do think, particularly with sexual sins, fasting is is a grace from God. Um, you know, Jesus, you know, gets a question, why don't your disciples fast? He's like, I don't, they're not going to fast while the bridegroom's here, but the bridegroom's going to be taken away. I'm going to I'm going to leave them and and then they're going to fast. So that the idea of fasting, I think is more of a normal Christian practice than we sometimes make it. And in fasting, we're saying, I'm voluntarily uh, withdrawing from this good desire to pursue an even better one. So food's a good thing. It's a gift from God. I'm voluntarily withholding that so I can focus my attention on my prayers and on life with God. So I desire life with God even more than that good physical desire, how much more than a bad physical desire, a misplaced physical desire, or a corrupted physical desire. So fasting and prayer, I think, is, is a great remedy from God. And then the church. Um, I, I talked to somebody after the service, and they said, well, I really haven't brought this to light with anybody because I, just, I, I don't want 
I don't want to confess it, you know, so I've just been doing this on my own, struggling along. I said, well, how's that, how's that working for you? He's like, well, not, not well. I was like, well, because you weren't designed to fight alone, right? God has given you the church. And I think constructive accountability in the church is, is a really, uh, is a huge thing. I mean, I cited uh, Hebrews 3 about exhorting one another as long as it's called today. Um, so that you're not going to be deceived by sin. Um, I, I do think there are good questions that we can ask one another that sometimes we don't. So sometimes you hear people say, well, like, what's in a good accountability question? Well, I've heard people say, like, when's the last time you lusted? Well, that's probably not going to engender a lot of conversation. But if you, if you say something like this, um, what is helping you fight for purity in your life? Then you've already put it in the context of like, I'm assuming that this is a struggle for you. And I, I, I'm assuming, too, that you're fighting against this. And now you might need something to confess. And usually that if there's something to confess, that'll occur naturally. But you're, you're asking, what is a help to you? Which then in, turns, in turn helps me think about how that could be a, a help to me. Um, and so it becomes a more constructive conversation rather than just a, a, a shaming conversation, if you will. So Bible prayer in church. I love it. Um, I'm reading uh, Sproul's book, R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. And uh, what I'm reading last night or where I was reading last night speaks specifically to some of the hard things mm. of God. I mean, um, the God of the Old Testament, you know, a lot of people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, I don't like him. He was mean, basically, is yep. what we're saying. I like Jesus, and I like the God of the New Testament. He's love. He's grace. But leaning in to some of these hard things and understanding the grace of God, understanding the mercy of God, understanding the fact that God will never be unfair to you. That's right. He will either be demand justice or he will extend mercy, mm -hmm. uh, but he will never be unjust. And understanding that helps us to develop. I, I know uh, you loved your wife when you got married, right? I I did and do. Becca, I hope you're listening here. <laughs> and you, I'm, I'm guessing you would say you love her more today than you did when you first got married. Most definitely. And why is that? Well, just I think time and growing together, life experiences, and I know her better. You've studied her. I know yeah. you have. And I've done the same with Sandy. But the idea of getting to know God is so key and leaning into some of the hard things of God and not, not staying away from them, not shying away. That's true. What a blessing. Trent, thanks a lot for being here. Anything else you want to add? Any other encouragements as we get ready to move into a discussion of divorce and remarriage? Yeah, just just an encouragement uh, to everybody in our church um, that, yes, these issues are hard, but they're, they're real life, and Scripture speaks to our real lives. And we want to be a, a church where we can discuss these things, walk alongside one another, and support one another. So maybe the conversation feels awkward at times, or maybe it feels convicting at times, but the reason that we're pursuing this is because uh, we love one another, and we ultimately love God. Trent, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Bart. And thanks to you who have been listening. We appreciate your sticking with us. Uh, a, a difficult but a really important discussion to have. We've been digging to deeper today with Trent Rogers, and we invite you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. 
plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our study of God's Word in Matthew chapter 5. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.